This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is James Calicut, biologist with Ducks Unlimited. On today's show, we'll talk about ducks and other kinds of waterfowl. Have you ever wondered why ducks fly in a V formation? Is it safe to feed ducks at your local pond? And what's the difference between a duck and a goose? How can you help in conservation efforts of ducks and other waterfowl? Foul. You can join the conversation this morning. Give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email: animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest in studio today is James Calicut, a biologist with Ducks Unlimited. So we're going to be talking about ducks and other types of waterfowl. Have you ever wondered why ducks fly in a V formation? Is it safe to feed them at your local pond? And what's the difference between a duck and a goose? How can you help in conservation efforts of ducks and other waterfowl? We'll hope to answer those and your questions this morning. Give us a call to join the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you two chances to hear Creature Comforts each week, Thursday mornings at 9, with a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Fine. Good morning. Libby, good to have you back on the show. Hope that you enjoyed your time off. I did. I had a great time, but I'm very glad to be back. And I think uh, you went out west, did I hear? Yes, I've been in Oregon. That's where my my daughter and her Mm -hmm. family live and my grandson. So had fun. All right. You, uh, is he uh, a budding outdoorsman, do you think, of the grandson? Uh, Oh, most definitely. And Loves the cold. He's he's an Oregonian, I guess. He he because he's just been walking a few months and getting out in the snow was great fun. Although he he slips and slides and seems to think that's all part of it. So it was lots of fun. But I, I, they had some quite heavy snow out there. I think while you were out there, yeah, on and off there was a good bit of snow and. It was so warm this morning. (laughs) Very strange. Ate breakfast on the porch. Well, for most of Mississippi, we have our version of snow, and that's rain. So uh, (laughs) welcome back to, uh, but we certainly glad to have you back on the program. Uh, We're visiting today with um, a biologist from Ducks Unlimited, James Calicut. James, uh, good to have you back on the show. It's good to be back, Kevin. If you would tell us a little bit about uh, what Ducks Unlimited is and the work that they do. Okay, well, uh, Ducks Unlimited is a... conservation organization we're uh, we're very habitat focused in the type of work we do we deliver habitat projects uh, do a lot of restoration and enhancement work all across the country but kind of focus in on priority breeding and wintering grounds across the country uh, so in breeding grounds places like the prairie pothole regions of 
the Dakotas, and then as far as winter grounds, places like the Mississippi, Louisville Valley, or what we call the Delta here, uh, as well as the Gulf Coastal region, places like the Central Valley of California, and a lot, many other places across the country for wintering, migrating, and breeding waterfowl deliver a lot of habitat projects. And what are some of the things that you do as a biologist? Uh, I'm a biologist for the uh, lower Mississippi, Louisville Valley, which is the Delta region of uh, Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Mississippi. And uh, I am our private lands biologist, and so I deliver uh, a lot of habitat programs uh, that benefit private landowners and help them establish better habitat on their properties for for waterfowl. And of course, I have a counterpart that works with Fish and Wildlife Service and the state wildlife agencies to deliver habitat projects on public lands like wildlife management areas and national wildlife refuges. Um, and I thought I heard uh, in the news recently that uh, there are a lot of ducks in the Delta this year. Is that true? Yes. Uh, the, the Aerial Waterfowl Survey uh, just came out uh, for early January, and it was a record number uh, uh, since they've been doing that survey since 2002, I believe, and about 1.4 million was the was the estimate of the total ducks in the in the Delta. Of course, that's a, a an index of population. It's not an actual abundant you know total population count. So there could be much more than that. But uh, it was good news to hear. But it came after that cold front that got them all down here. Now we know it's hot and <laughs> they're not moving around as much. So uh, even though we've got a lot out there, I'm sure hunters and waterfowl enthusiasts are having a tough time finding good places, have high concentrations of them, uh, not everywhere, but just in certain spots, it seems like. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be talking about ducks and other waterfowl today with our guest, James Calicut. Uh, if you have a question or a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Um, so this time of year, as we mentioned, some, some ducks in the Delta. What are some other um, areas of the state that see uh, a lot of waterfowl this time of year? Uh, any of the major river bottoms in the state uh, will have, you know, n- fair numbers of waterfowl. Obviously, the Delta is where our highest concentrations are, but, uh, you know, the ten- Tennessee time, Bigby, area up in northeast mississippi uh, is an important area for waterfowl in the state uh you can if you're here in the metro area you could go up to uh like pearl river wma on the north end of the reservoir that you know the pearl river bottom has a lot of a lot of waterfowl and you can see a pretty uh, decent diversity of waterfowl at pearl river wma right now i would imagine with uh usually going out there to the observation uh deck there there's there's quite a bit of ducks to be able to see in those impoundments there but most of the major river bottoms in the state there should be decent numbers of waterfowl. And I know even in the park that I walk in in Pearl has a small pond and, you know, it's always a number of ducks and, and geese there as well. So uh, uh, plenty of chances, I guess, uh, in, in all parts of the state uh, to see them. Um, and, you know, all right. So we've always talked about the idea of habitat and preserving habitat. So what are the things that ducks and other waterfowl need? Water, I guess, being the obvious <laughs> one. But what are some other things that make good habitat for these creatures? Well, they need uh, plenty of, of, of abundant food resources as well as uh, as as cover. Uh, of course, it depends on the species, the habitat requirements that, you know, habitat may not be the same for a mallard versus a wood duck or, or a diving duck of some species. Uh, but then throughout the winter, their habitat needs change throughout winter. So, uh, um, you know, what they're needing at the beginning of the winter may just maybe just be good water and food resources. And as it gets colder, they may need a little bit more cover, things that help them cut down on thermoregulation costs, cut down on trying to stay warm. And then 
as winter progresses, uh, when they start to pair up, they may want some more uh, forested-type wetlands to be secluded and, and, and form pair bonds and strengthen those bonds. So both weather and biological needs kind of change that habitat need over winter, but uh, but definitely food and cover is because their goal is to make it through the winter and head back north to, to breed. Um, what are the, the different kinds of ducks that we find in Mississippi? Here in Mississippi, especially since we, uh, you know, have the the Delta as part of our state, uh, we have a wide diversity of waterfowl. Um, We have uh, a couple of species of geese, mostly Canada geese, uh, white-fronted geese, and snow geese, uh, but we have a wide diversity of dabbling ducks and diving ducks. We have a a great, there's not too many species of waterfowl, not a long list that you couldn't possibly see in the state of Mississippi. So we have quite a diversity of birds that, that winter here in the state. What would you say is the most common duck in the state? Is it a mallard? Mallards and wood ducks, and that, and gadwall as well is another one, and um, northern shoveler is another one. Depending on in the delta, that would probably be your mallard, shoveler, and gadwall would probably be some of your most abundant. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you have a question about ducks or other waterfowl, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Major is here, ready to take some pet questions. Uh, Dr. Major, anything unusual or interesting going on at the clinic? There's always something unusual going on, but uh, it's been fairly fairly busy, but nothing too too exciting. Uh, we did have uh, surgery. Uh, most of you know Adam Ronke, and uh, his dog got in trouble with a. Gastric torsion seems to be doing okay now, though. We had to do surgery two days ago. Okay. And I guess uh, no one can have a duck as a pet, I would guess. Is that correct? <laughs> well, I mean, several people do, you know, like you know, mostly more just have, you know, like you had chickens or anything else, a lot of farms. You can have domestic ducks. ducks. Domestic yeah. ducks. Okay. Uh, but uh, there's some people that actually are what shall I say, connoisseurs of waterfowl, they, they breed all of the exotic uh, waterfowl. And uh, there are some beautiful ducks. Uh, some of the Asian ducks are are quite colorful. Uh, you see some of those at the zoo, but they are uh, breeders, uh, I think, here in Mississippi as well that uh, have exotic duck uh, programs. And occasionally, we I remember the state, there would be some times that um, well, something would get loose from one of those facilities, and a hunter would wind up harvesting something strange, and and that's likely the case where the you know one of those escapees from something like that, a mandarin duck or something odd like that that you wouldn't right, see. Right, it'd be kind of like a uh, a quail hunter harvesting a uh, mountain quail, exactly. <laughs> which we don't see here. They're beautiful though. Uh, We're going to take our first break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion about ducks and other waterfowl with our guest, uh, Ducks Unlimited biologist James Calicut. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take a pet question, and I always like to hear wildlife questions and observations. The number to call to join the conversation is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. The email address is animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after...
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. We're visiting with our guest today, a biologist with Ducks Unlimited, James Calicut. So we're talking about ducks and other waterfall, uh, waterfowl. Uh, we're also taking pet questions. And as I said, we always like to hear any wildlife questions or observations that you might have. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We do have a couple of callers on the line, so we begin in Beaumont as we say good morning to Sue. Hello, Sue. Hi, how are you? I, I was just wondering, Kevin, if you, if you all could get the the guest you had on that was, that was going to do the Christmas bird count, could you get him back on and, and uh, to, to tell what he found and what how the bird count turned out? Okay, yeah, we can uh, try to do that. Uh, if not, maybe I guess at least uh, maybe Libby, you could uh, uh, update. That was uh, during the holidays, and we talked about uh, the Christmas bird count and the importance of that, so maybe we could get an update on, on yeah, what they found out this year. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, if they finish tabulating everything, I'll, I'll um, get in touch with Larry, and if he doesn't want to come back, maybe he'll send us some information. Or tell us where. I'm sure it's online somewhere, so he may tell us where we can all go and find it. Okay, very good. Let's stay on the line. We'll go next to Timothy, who's called in from Louisiana this morning. Good morning, Timothy. Good morning. Uh, you know, the Christmas bird count tallies are on the Audubon website. Okay, uh-huh. very good. Uh, but uh, I'm calling about snow geese and how you can prepare them to make them taste better. <laughs> I wonder if you have to it's actually kind of funny. We were just talking about that on the break. Uh, yeah, we heard some good ideas. Yeah. Well, um, I actually experimented a little bit with uh, making sausage out of them this past uh, duck season. I happened to harvest quite a few snow geese, and uh, they made excellent summer sausage. I couldn't really tell the difference between that and venison summer sausage. And then actually found a recipe to to make pastrami. If you like pastrami, there's a good recipe. I think the um, website I got off that was a hunter, angler, gardener, cook website. And um, right. I was surprised. I mean, my wife and I ate uh, Rubens for several nights that week <laughs> with the snow goose pastrami, and it was very, very tasty. That's right. good. You know, I ate one when I was a kid. It was just terrible. <laughs> and my grandmother said, if you shoot it, you got to clean it and eat. <laughs> and I shot one, and I had to clean it and eat it. And I tell you what, it wasn't very good at all, you know? Yeah, you got to get creative with, uh, with preparing them, for the sure. The thing I ever did was I, uh, the first duck i ever shot was a uh timothy i think uh i think we've lost you thanks for calling good to hear from you as always uh this is creature comforts on mpb think radio uh, if you have a question or a comment this morning want to join the conversation the phone lines are open and the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org let's continue with some phone calls off to van cleve we go as charlie's on the line good morning charlie morning go ahead uh canada geese are, are becoming a nuisance and oh uh, a lot of a lot of towns and 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 a lot of public places and what have you uh uh, them being protected and all, uh, is there anything to do to, to kind of slow down on this, the progress of these geese? They're uh, multiplying so rapidly here. 
it's kind of difficult uh, because, uh, like you said, they are are protected species, and and where they are so abundant is perfect Canada goose habitat as well. Manicured lawns with lakes and ponds, and that tends to be residential areas, and and so it's uh, they tend to be in places where they're not being harvested by hunters, and and, and they do become a problem. Uh, most of the instances uh, where you know neighborhoods or or communities, uh, if they can get everybody. You know, in the community on board, uh, USDA Wildlife Services, which is a federal agency that handles human wildlife conflicts, you know, can, you know, uh, send folks out when they're molting and can, can round up geese when they're, uh, uh, when they're flightless and, and remove the birds. Uh, and, and, but that, that takes kind of a more, you know, you got to have everybody in the community on board and, or the neighborhood. And so, but there are some things that maybe you might have some ideas on on things you can do to deter them. But I nothing that I know of that has a great amount of success. Slide of removing the bird. Yeah, at, well, this is really Tori's suggestion, but dogs do a great job of removing them from your yard. They they generally discourage them from yeah. being there if you've got a dog yeah. around your pond. I was under the impression from past talks about this that uh, one agency would let you get some oil that you could put on the eggs. Uh, nesting eggs to keep, prevent prevent them That's deter the, deter the geese Is and prevent true? them from hatching. That might be a good alternative. Somebody's got to get out there and do it. Yeah, I think you can get but, a permit maybe from USDA. Or, well, right. not, that may not be the right agency right. that you get it from, but I do believe there is a permit to allow you to oil the eggs where they won't hatch. You could call Wildlife Services at Mississippi State, and mm-hmm. they will know yes. the legality of it. I I did not know that. What kind of oil do you use? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I remember somebody. Okay, one more thing we need to look yeah. into, Kevin. Some, we'll someone someone on the program mentioned that, and I don't remember who it okay. was. Okay, if somebody wants to call us, we'll talk okay. about it. Yeah, it could be Chris. Uh, but yeah. you know, James, in, in kind of a broader sense, um, c- controlling population is part of conservation efforts. It is, and then the snow geese that we talked about earlier is something. You know, those are super abundant birds, and they're actually destroying good bit of their arctic nesting habitat north and they just keep expanding out into more and more areas and um we actually have a, a special season after the water regular waterfowl season ends where a lot of the normal restrictions that are placed on those birds during the waterfowl hunting season are are lifted things like you can have have more shells in your shotgun you can hunt longer hours during the day you can use electronic calls which aren't allowed during the regular season and try to give hunters more of an edge to be able to harvest more of those birds to try to help in an effort to lower that population because they are destroying their habitat. But the snow geese can be pretty wary. Uh, they're, they're not exactly <laughs> going to come up to you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's Snow goose hunting is not for the faint of heart. It's, 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 it's a lot of work. Right. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. We've got another caller coming in uh, from Bay St. Louis. It's Chris. Good morning, Chris. Go ahead. Good morning, y'all. How are you doing? Good. Hey, Chris. Listen, this is, this is a little bit not off subject, but with, uh, with the new administration being sworn in today, one of the things I heard him talk about early on was doing away with the Clean Water Act, and in particular that 404 section that protects wetlands. And we all know without wetlands we won't have geese, because Dr. Lunas certainly knows what they had to do up north to protect those potholes and whatnot up there. And I just wanted people to be aware that, that they were at least talking about doing away with that provision. And as far as I'm concerned, that's kind of the last wall we have to keep uh, the developers and the folks who really don't care about these these issues from just going crazy and developing what they what they want to do so that's it i just wanted to let y'all know i guess i have a comment about the goose egg 
Um, I don't want to get in trouble with PETA, but I'm sure axle grease would work. Um, <laughs> uh, what do goose eggs taste like? I don't, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll find um, out what's legal there. But uh, thank you. I do think that the coalition of hunters and bird watchers and conservationists are probably um, addressing 404 section right now. I hope so. And also a reminder, if, if there's something that you feel strongly about uh, in terms of that, uh, as you said, a new administration coming in, you can always uh, write to your senators and representatives, let you uh, let them know what your voice is. And, you know, that's the way uh, our democracy works. So, Chris, thanks for the call. Uh, let's uh, press on. Next, we've got uh, Linda from Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Yes, I agree with the previous caller. Uh, I worked in Fort Belfort, Virginia, the Defense Logistics Agency, and we had an overabundance of Canadian geese. And they were, they were very, very, you know, messy, and you couldn't do anything to their eggs, one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like putting uh, uh, diesel on the eggs, uh, you could get in trouble. I think there may be a special permit for that, though, where they're a nuisance. I think it may have changed. So somebody <coughs> needs to let us know, and that but would I be a, good know, to know. Yeah, but I have a question uh, about my kid, Millie. Yes. Um, she has is, she is started uh, biting the hair off her tail and uh, off her backside. Is there anything I can do for that? I put I put hydrocortisone on it and. Uh, Has she done this before? To, Is this first time? Yeah, this first time. Somebody told me to put iodine, mm. decorated iodine on it. I'd be a little careful with iodine on a cat. Uh, make sure you have no fleas. Uh, I can't. I have low vision. Okay. So I I can't see. That would be important to know that you don't have any fleas. Uh, in some she cases, little bumps on her. right? There's yeah, a common condition in cats called miliary dermatitis, which basically means little bumps and this sort of thing. That cats tend to pull their hair uh, both underneath in the groin area and along their back. Sometimes it's up around the head. In most cases, it it requires some steroids to break that cycle. So I would suggest talking to your veterinarian and see what they can offer. I'd be a little careful, though, putting iodine on the cat. All right, Linda, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're taking pet questions today with Dr. Troy Major and also visiting with our guest, uh, Ducks Unlimited biologist James Calicut. We are talking about ducks and other waterfowl this morning. I keep saying that, waterfowl this morning. Uh, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. 7464 Next, we're going to go to Mike, who's called in from Mobile today. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, I, I, it, how do you spell Dr. Calicut's last name, please? <laughs> uh, C-A-L-L-I-C-U-T-T. Well, I got close. <laughs> I, I missed one L. So yeah. Um, that's a, yeah. And you're with Ducks Unlimited, sir? Yes, ma'am. Right? All right, because uh, well, my my final question is, you know, to get more information. But first of all, I want to ask, um, uh, how, what kind of waterfowls um, lay eggs that are in nests that are on uh, where when the the river areas uh, where the water 
when it comes at high tide, will sometimes flood the nest but then recede. I've got herons, egrets, uh, previously had um, uh, wood ducks, and probably mallards, those sorts of things. Well, uh, the only uh, <clears throat> duck species that I can I can think of that would be nesting out in, in marsh-like habitat like that would be model ducks. Is 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 about the only species down in the Gulf that that's is a year-round resident that that would be breeding down in that that neck of the woods. Other than you know inland, you know wood ducks and cavity cavities of trees or nest boxes. Uh, they're another resident that stays year-round and, and does nest down here, but model ducks down there on the coast would be about the only duck species I could think of. And what time of year, Mikey, are you seeing the well, eggs? Well, I haven't seen them in a while. That was another question that I had. Um, uh, as I say, there are also herons and egrets and, and those sorts of things, ospreys, yeah. which, of course, are not waterfowl. But, um, you know, that just to give you a general idea of what, what's been observed, um, do herons or egrets, do those kinds of, of uh, birds, uh, I mean... They tend to nest in, in trees and low ve- vegetation. Uh, how big were those eggs? They were uh, larger than goose eggs, a little bit larger. That's a big egg. That is a big yeah, egg. that's a big egg. <laughs> Definitely not a model duck if it's yeah. larger than uh-huh. a goose egg. Beg pardon? It's, it's most likely not a model duck if it's that large of an egg. I'm I'm not sure in that that region what would I'm not as familiar with with some of the other Gulf uh, marsh birds and and wading birds that might have an egg that size. Uh, Mikey, I believe that you have stumped the panel, so uh, we'll see if we can figure some things yeah, out we'll, though. We'll look but, into uh, it. If you if you see them again, take a picture. That'd be good. That always helps. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for the call. Let's uh, get one final call in before our next break, and we'll go to Lynn, who's in Red Bay, Alabama. Good morning, Lynn. Hi. Good morning. I had, well, birds of all sorts, uh, geese. Uh, let me cover Muscovy ducks, though. Um, if if uh, if you can get to that um, any kind of an egg in a nest to even put oil on it, Get those eggs and put them in a cake. I'm telling you what. <laughs> and, I mean, it will diminish their numbers. But my Muscovies, um, I ran out of eggs one day, and I had to bake a cake for the church, you know. And I thought, oh, I can't show up without it. So I took three Muscovy. They're big. They're a large egg. Oh, my goodness. And I've had uh, culinary experts <laughs> remark that they are the very best eggs. So if... If uh, any, I think any goose or duck egg, oh my gosh, it's the best, the best to cook with. Those I eggs are very, those cake. eggs are very rich, very rich. They're they're good. Oh yes, and uh, they made the best, richest cake. They're also quite hard. I know as a kid, oh yeah. uh, back in the day, we used to all during Easter, we used to all take Easter eggs to school, and there were a few eggs that were harder than the others. Uh, guinea eggs were quite hard. But uh, the duck eggs were also very hard. We, it was, I want to go into detail of what we used to do, but we used to uh, see whose egg would break last <laughs> in the competition. But anyway, that's a great. Those things are – I've eaten them before, and they are very, very rich, very good. 
All right, uh, Lynn, we appreciate your call. So we're having uh, snow goose pastrami and now duck egg cakes. We're having a great time here on Creature Comforts. <laughs> Need to take a quick break. When we get back, Libby's got some information on the oil to use on duck eggs. Uh, we'll get that information and more. We've got some callers to get to and some open phone lines. So give us a call if you'd like to join the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one 7464 This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Joining us in studio today, James Calicut, a biologist with Ducks Unlimited. So we're talking about waterfowl today, looking for your questions about ducks and geese and other waterfowl, but also taking your pet questions. Got some open phone lines for phone calls, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So I said duck eggs, but I guess we were talking about goose eggs. Is that, was that right? Or, um, and Libby, you, you found oh, out some information. She said duck or geese. Okay. But yeah, what we specifically were talking about was nuisance Canada geese. Mm-hmm. If they're in your neighborhood, they're on a pond, they can get terribly messy when you get an overpopulation of them. And uh, I talked with Chris Godwin at the um, Animal Damage Control. Well, now it's Wildlife Services, yeah. And she's USDA, but she says it's U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that deals with this. And you can go online and fill out an application that would give you a permit to do something with the goose eggs if you feel like you've got too many geese and it is corn oil which is much better for the environment than using any please don't be putting motor oil or some kind of a you know an industrial grease or something in a wetland anyway but there you need a permit before you use the corn oil and you can you, you can apply for that online from the u.s fish and wildlife service all right very good i think our caller was from van cleave who was talking yeah. about that so hopefully he is still listening to us yes uh, let's go back to the phones we're off to oxford uh, mary is on the line uh, good morning mary good morning. yeah go ahead and they went and got another kitten to keep it company and it brought home ringworm which spread to all four of them (laughs) and it took months going to various doctors and vets to clear it up then they made a trip to a wedding and when they got back the cat that they got from the vet still had ringworm on its nose and they are now bathing the cats once a week and using some veterinarian prescribed medicine, but it seems to be very prolific and doesn't go away. I was wondering what you 
you know, it, it is difficult, and it seems to affect usually starts out with younger uh, kittens or uh, animals, primi- primarily cats. But uh, that nose area is very difficult to apply any topical or anything like that. Prob- are they using something that smells really, really bad? I don't know okay. how it smells. There's a lime. There's a lime. I'm in Mississippi, and they're in California. Okay. There's a lime sulfur dip that uh, smells like rotten eggs, but it is used uh, for that type thing. I would suggest, and I'm sure they've talked to their vet, but uh, there are oral medications that can be compounded and given to the cats. Uh, They're giving some kind of compound. Right. Itraconazole is one, and uh, it's usually very effective if given over time, but it's difficult to clear up. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that can be spread to people. Obviously they found that out and uh, it's difficult to get rid of, but uh, they just need to be patient and keep working with it. And uh, we keep monitoring it. Usually a woods light, which is a uh, blue light will show up the typical ringworm on the hairs and it really glows a very iridescent white glow. So uh, I would suggest that they're probably doing the right thing, but it's just going to take a long time. So, well, it certainly has. It's right. been almost six months now right. working on this. Right. Well, good uh, luck to them. I sure hope that uh, they you. get it cleared up. Good to good hear from you, Mary. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. been a busy day. We always like to hear from you during the show. We'll continue now on. Uh, Scott's on the road and has called in today. Good morning, Scott. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you have for us? Earlier this week, I was watching a hunting program out of Ohio, and uh, it was a deer hunting program, and they were talking about the impact that deer hunting has on the economy of Ohio. And my question is, do we have any statistics on what kind of uh, dollar amount the waterfowl hunting in Mississippi, what kind of an income it generates, what percentage or something of that nature uh, that that it does of the state's income? Yes, uh, there's been some um, quite a bit of research done at Mississippi State looking at trying to uh, not just waterfowl hunting, but, uh, you know, all types of, of, of hunting and which, you know, how much deer hunting, waterfowl hunting, other types of outdoor recreation uh, brings to the state, uh, how much money that is. And I don't have those figures off ta- offhand, but I'm sure I can I can find out a website uh, before the show's uh, over that, that has some of those figures on it. Uh, but there has been some of that has been tallied and figured out kind of what what waterfowl hunting means to the economy of Mississippi, what deer hunting means, and a lot of the outdoor recreational opportunities. So there has been quite a lot of that looked into. I remember the total hunting and fishing was over a billion dollars. Yes. So it's it is it's a tremendous asset to the state. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott. Uh, needless to say, it, it is a huge impact on on the state, and that's uh, you know one of the things I think Mississippi is known for is that uh, abundance of outdoor activities uh, and hunting and you know that sort of thing included for sure. Uh, let's go back. Uh, Lynn has called in again from Red Bay. Lynn, what do you have for us? Well, I forgot to mention. I know why uh, the goose is the, the mother goose. We have a farm that. Well, we had turkeys, guineas, all kinds of chickens, uh, all the ducks. And that goose, even a gander, we got down to finally just one gander. But if we, we, if we, to keep the coyotes from getting in all the nests, my husband, we would incubate a lot of the eggs and have the little ones, put them in a certain area. I would get, bring them water and all. But that gander hung around, hung around. I mean, they did all the geese would. Uh, 
and and then as soon as you turn your back, you're going to get goosed. <laughs> They'll run you back to the house as fast as they can, and they keep predators away. They're so they're just such a beneficial in the garden. They we would let them in to eat the insects off. They wouldn't hurt any of our. Um, you know vegetables, but they they sure get the the insects. What kind of geese do you have? Et cetera. I I can't think of a better bird if you can get them to where they'll stay at your house. You have got a friend forever. What? And, yeah. What kind of geese were they? Do you remember? Now uh, we had several kinds. The Canadian. Uh, this this one that, uh, that we had the most luck with was just the white. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not not a goose expert. A domestic goose, probably. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, they used to have flocks to go through the cotton fields yeah. and pick the grass out. Uh, I saw that later in yeah. Europe, someplace. Right. Uh, yeah, they 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 keep them for that purpose. Well, there were there were large flocks in in the Delta as well uh, for that purpose, and uh, I think one of the names of the it's kind of amusing to me that it's a French breed. It's a Toulouse goose. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> yes. But they, they were very large, too. Some of them, this gander yes. that you have must be pretty large. Yes, they were. And they were as, as good as the female. I was surprised when we got down to the one gander that he was as maternal or as protective and uh, and yeah, you couldn't turn your back on him. <laughs> All right. Things done. He, you could approach him. He was amenable to that. But anyway, they're a wonderful animal. All and right. Lynn. Thank you again. Sure. Thanks for calling back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We have some open phone lines for you if you'd like to join our conversation today at 1 877 MPB Ring. The phone number is 1 877 672 7464. You can always email the program as well. Animals at mpbonline.org. Bobby's on the line from Baldwin County, and he's up next. Bobby, what do you have for us? Well, I it's a, I think an underappreciated bird. I hear a lot of denigrating comments through the years about them, but I find them to be delightful and really awesome. Twenty-five years ago, I was regaled with a pretty cool. I feel rather privileged to have witnessed to a a really cool exhibition in Japan, in which they. Uh, the ancient art of tying a line to the cormorant. Cormorant goes down below and brings back, retrieves, as bizarre as it sounds, it retrieves the fish for the fishermen. And it's largely a, a sort of show thing now. It's not really that much of a means of fishing. But I watched them with just amazement, and I was hoping guests could talk a little bit about more of the specifics, breeding habits, migratory, uh, depth of uh, diving, all right, uh, Bobby, I th- we've uh, lost you having a little bit of a cell phone problems there, but uh, does anyone know about uh, cormorants? I'm no cormorant expert by, by any means. Most of uh, seems like these days most of the, the cormorant talk is usually from just similar to the Canada goose, that they're, they're a bit of a nuisance. Uh, you know, aquaculture facilities in the Delta, you know, catfish farmers and things, uh, you know, they can cause quite a quite a bit of damage or perceived damage, uh, one of the two, and there's... You know, it's usually a, a nuisance issue when when uh, when uh, cormorants are usually brought to to someone's attention. But uh, uh, I don't know, Libby. You might can talk more about it. I'm sure that it seems from what I've I, little I know that that uh, they've definitely become more abundant in this part of the world than historically had been. 
Yeah, I think so. And no, what he was referring to the the fishermen using that. I remember years ago seeing a fantastic article in National Geographic about that. And cormorants are, I guess, indispensable really in some places in the world to those fishermen. And they do they they constrict the neck with a like a kerchief around their neck. Not you know not something tight enough to 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 harm them, I think, but it's tight enough that they can't swallow the fish so that they don't eat everything. I'm sure they get their part because they're, they're a partner. So, yeah, but they, 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 will, they will come back up with a fish and um, give it to the fisherman and then go back down and get another one. We need to take one final break. When we get back, we've got Edward on the line from Jackson, and we've got some open phone lines. Your chance to join the conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to animals at org. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest today, James Calicut, a biologist with Ducks Unlimited. So we've been talking about ducks and other waterfowl today. Also been taking some pet questions. Uh, we've got a caller on the line. So let's uh, go to Jackson as we say hello to Edward. Edward, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I want to know how, how much longer do we have for hunting in the duck season and uh is a 410 shotgun. I might be calling the wrong show for this, but uh, is a 410 shotgun good for duck hunting? All right, you have till the, the last Sunday in, in of this month to uh, to hunt uh, ducks. I, there, I think there's a little bit longer to hunt uh, geese, uh, but uh, as far as the main waterfowl season, you have till the last Sunday of the of the month. So about two weeks left in the season. Uh, some people do use a 410 shotgun, but you'll have to use steel shot or some kind of non-toxic shot. You can't use a uh, lead shot because you don't want to put that lead into the wetlands and the ducks eat it and they get potentially get lead poisoning. But uh, So you got to use some kind of non-toxic shot. And 410 will, you can harvest a duck with it, but they're going to have to be pretty close uh, for you to to be able to, to do that. Uh, definitely won't do the job that a 20 or a 12 gauge will do, but it is, it is uh, acceptable to use one of those for that. I didn't want to go and buy another gun because I'm not going to do that much hunting. And 14 is all I have. But, um, well, that'll work for you. Just let them get close. And, and I'm 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 over. Well, I'm over 75, really. But uh, and I'm also retired from the military. Do I need to buy a license? I don't believe you'll. Uh, you're, since you're uh, uh, over 65, you won't have to have a hunting license, but you will still have to have the federal uh, duck stamp. And I think. Uh, you still have to have the state duck stamp as well, but I'm not, not yeah, sure. Yeah, I think we'll it's have just to, the duck stamps, yeah, not the license. Just the state yeah. and federal duck stamp. You won't have to have the, the hunting license, but you will have to buy those stamps. 
All right, Edward, uh, thanks for your call. Although, again, we remind folks that uh, the money from uh, hunting and fishing licenses does go in part to help uh, conservation efforts, and and, uh, so uh, you're really helping out everybody uh, that hunts and fishes uh, when you buy those licenses. So if you can afford that, it might be a good idea just to get one, even though you don't necessarily need one. So we're talking about duck hunting. How does it affect the duck population? Does it each year, is it adjusted so that it's uh, helping to control the population without doing too much harm? Yes, they, uh, you know, we... Um, every year, um, you know, biologists come together from across the country. Uh, we have the, the country divided into four flyways, the Mississippi flyway that we're in, of course, the Atlantic, the Central, and the Pacific. And uh, biologists, representatives from each state and Canadian province within those flyways come together and discuss population levels and, and make recommendations to the Fish and Wildlife Service and then the service decides. So we're basing what season lengths and bag limits will be based on the the population estimates we got from the previous year used to we were doing it from having to wait until the current year's information came out and now we're doing it on the year before but harvest really doesn't drive duck populations for the most part it's mostly driven by habitat so you know if we have wet years in the prairies and plenty of wetland good wetland habitat you know we we should have good duck populations but dry drought years you know those kind of tend to fall and so we have threshold. There's thresholds that are set that if populations fall below this amount, then the season will be shorter, shortened, or the bag limit will be restricted. Uh, but so it is very based on the most recent information available to decide how long and how many ducks you can shoot. Uh, let's talk a little bit about migration. What? Uh, what? I guess we understand some things about migration, but other things is kind of a mystery. Yep. <clears throat> so uh, um, there's a lot of. Uh, to me, that's some of the most interesting thing about waterfowl is uh, is what triggers their migrations for certain species or certain individuals. Uh, some some birds, it could be photo period, just the change in day length that triggers says, hey, it's time to head south. And other birds, it has to, all their food resources and everything have to be completely unavailable just about an area to force them south. So um, it depends on the species, what push it, you know, it uh, incites the initial migration, but uh it's very interesting, and to what how they find their way south. I mean, birds use uh, a lot of visual and non-visual cues for how to find their way south. Visual, like uh, landmarks such as rivers, and probably even use some man-made landmarks. I'm sure highways and things like that, to some extent, are, are used. But uh, they use uh, then, of course, not then they use uh, the sun, uh, use the stars that they're flying at night to help help guide where they're going, and even you know the you know the Earth's magnetic field. Um, can can kind of guide those birds and, and they definitely have have you know a homing sense to them i mean birds are able to return to the exact places from the year before um that they so they home in on places where they've been successful before so pretty pretty interesting so we don't know everything about migration but but uh but we know a lot and it's it's very very interesting to to see all the ways that they they make their way south or north mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it's fascinating that, you know, all the, the, the amount of miles that they, they log in. So do we know why ducks fly in a V formation? It's probably energy conservation. <laughs> I was thinking yeah, it's kind of a drafting uh, off of one another, you know. It's a, it's probably taking less energy for a bird to be 
being pulled along by that draft uh, from the bird in front of it than, than just flying on its own out to itself. But that's like, I mean, I guess in auto racing and in cycling and that sort of thing, that there's that strategy of being behind because you're drafting. And, and also, I think I've heard that the poor bird that's the lead does not always, I mean, he sometimes gets relief and, and gets to fly in the back of <laughs> yeah, the formation. That's, that's true. Uh, if, you're, if, if you're ever watching a high-flying group of birds, occasionally, you know, you'll kind of see them change position and and so the the lead bird's not all and that doesn't have the whole trip to to pull everybody else along. All right, uh, got a couple of minutes left. What makes a good uh, duck dog to take with you when you're hunting? What are some things looking for? <clears throat> well, there's a lot of breeds that are, can make excellent duck dogs, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know if it's uh, you know if good breeding, the dog that's going to have a high amount of prey drive and and really uh, just have a desire to to swim and to 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 chase birds to pick up birds and retrieve is the main thing you look for and the rest is is all up to to the trainer to 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 flesh out everything and bring it to its to its uh to its uh final point where it's a solid retriever but uh the dog definitely has to have it naturally in it to to do the job and then the training just kind of brings it to the to the end game and the the human needs to be trained yes that's the first step right (laughs) that's right but there is sort of a unique dynamic between dog and hunter in, in that situation. There is. You have to have a you know very close bond and, and have to with retrievers. It's uh, the dog isn't necessarily hunting independently. It's a cooperative thing between the the hunter and the dog. Uh, uh, use hand signals, whistles, and things to you know if the dog doesn't see the bird fall, the hunter needs to be able to guide the the, the dog into the fall area where he thinks that he or she thinks that bird is. And so it's a lot of cooperation. You got to have a a very a lot of trust between the two of you to to make that work all right and then one final thing is uh again i mentioned that you know i walk uh in the park in pearl and there's a number of uh, ducks and geese there and often see people with you know a bag of breadcrumbs and that sort of thing throwing them out there is it a good idea to feed ducks if you see them at a pond like that depends on who owns the pond and whether or not they want those <laughs> ducks there <laughs> i know uh uh you know, I don't think it's it's necessary. It depends on what you feed them. You know, I mean, feeding them bread or or corn versus feeding them French fries. You know, to me, <laughs> you know, it don't it depends on what you feed them. And then, and two, you know, just whether or not you want them to be dependent on that food resource. And another thing to be careful of is, especially during warmer months, people that pour out, you know, corn around their pond or something to feed their their ducks. You know, if those piles get old and soured, you know, and may get some bacteria growing in them, things like botulism. And I'm sure Dr. Majors could speak a little bit more of some of those uh dangers of doing that that's a call that i used to get quite a bit well you know symptoms of a duck acting odd swimming in circles can't hold its head up and usually the if i asked if they fed around the pond and it was a summer month you know how they fed how they piled if they piled it up into piles and those things can be a danger so maybe better just enjoy them and, and let them be and, and they'll they know where to get food for themselves that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, one way that you can find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest James Calicut, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts only on MPB Think Radio.